I'm sure all of you are familiar with this particular uh, picture that I'm showing you. Maybe not the exact picture, but you're familiar with the um, building and some other buildings like it. It's kind of washed out on the screen right there, but what that banner right there says is the Elevation Church. The Elevation Church. I was riding down the road the other day and and right here on, on 74 and in Matthews and looked and saw that big, huge complex that they have there where they've taken almost over that completely, uh, over completely that strip mall there. And I started thinking about that and started thinking uh, that maybe this morning we could talk for a few minutes about the Elevation Church. I'm not going to attack the sincerity of anyone who is a member in that congreg- uh, congregation of, of people. Uh, I'm not attacking... Um, uh, the goodness of those people or anything like that, but I do think it's important that we talk about some things for a few minutes this morning. Uh, Right now, the Elevation Church in the Charlotte area is the largest denomination of religious faith. They uh, have nearly 25,000 members, 25,000 members. And um, basically, if you want to be a member of the Elevation Church, you just simply have to let people know that you want to be a member of the Elevation Church and that you love Jesus. That's really what it boils down to, uh, that you have a desire to be a part of their fellowship, and um, you need to be someone who, of course, believes in Jesus and loves Jesus, but that's basically it. Uh, Stephen Furyk, who is the lead pastor, if you will, um, of the Elevation Church, uh, is quoted in the newspaper as saying that doctrines really aren't important to us here. And that's true with almost all community churches, and this is the model that the Elevation Church is set up by, is the uh, community church model where uh, doctrines really aren't important. If you want to believe in the virgin birth, that's fine. If you don't want to believe in the virgin birth, that's also fine. If you want to believe that um, uh, baptism is necessary, then that's fine. We'll baptize you. If you don't want to believe that baptism is necessary, then that's fine too. We won't, we won't have to worry about that. Uh, if you want to worship on Saturday, that's fine. If you want to call that the Lord's Day, that's okay with us. And if you want to worship on Sunday, that's okay with us too. Uh, the main thing is the emphasis is not on Bible doctrine. They try to stay away from it completely, but instead they try to emphasize large, beautiful facilities and worship that is very, very exciting, and a social club type of atmosphere. But it's all about the excitement. It's all about uh, 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 being fired up and charged up, and the worship services are set up that way. And that, of course, is the community church model. Uh, We were riding down a highway the other day, and um, Karen pointed out to me a church on the side of the road, and the name of the church was called the Fellowship of Excitement. It was a community church, and they pretty well nailed it. The name of their church was the Fellowship of Excitement. And that's the emphasis of the community church model, that um, we don't want any kind of, of disunity whatsoever. We want everybody to be happy. We want everybody to be together. We want everybody to be excited. And we're going to make sure that you constantly stay excited and never, ever have to worry about anything but just simply loving Jesus. They take the Madison Avenue approach when it comes to religion, and they're very interested in meeting felt needs. 
What are the felt needs of our members? How can we fulfill those felt needs? The community church model uh, started many years ago in a congregation of, uh, of, of people um, in a community called Willow Creek. And the reason why it's called the community church model is they went door to door asking people why they don't go to church. And after they finished this questionnaire, they came up with a plan that would get people back in the church by making sure they took care of their felt needs. Now, if you ever talk to someone in the community church and ask them about this idea of not having any doctrine whatsoever, they justify it by this particular idea. We are living in a world today that is full of religious division. There are people who are divided religiously, and we're simply trying to find a way to bring people back together again. God does not like division. God wants us to be together. And so the only way to get rid of division in the world today is get rid of the things that causes division among us, and that is different doctrines. If you take away the doctrine, then we can all be unified. It's not the non-denominational approach, it's the interdenominational approach that if you blend everything together and have nobody have any particular doctrine as far as the statement of the faith of a church, then everybody will be together and we won't have to worry about the disunity that's in the religious world. Now, I think everyone here this morning agrees that the Bible very clearly teaches that God is displeased when the religious world is divided. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 17, and as he is praying there, beginning at verse 20, one of the things that he is praying for, he is saying, I wish that the entire religious world would be one. We all, I want all of them to be one as you and I, Father, are one. And the reason behind this, Jesus states in the prayer, is that the world may believe. We understand and appreciate the fact that as long as there's a religious division, that it's going to cause people not to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If different religious groups were bickering and fighting with one another, we understand how that can cause the world not to believe in Christianity. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, Paul begins this treatise, if you will, about how that we're all supposed to be of the same mind and the same judgment, that we're all supposed to speak the same thing. And he says, I wish that there was no divisions among you. Even in the church at Corinth, there were divisions that were developing. They had a bad case of preacheritis. There was one person who wanted to follow Peter, another one to follow Paul, another one wanted to follow Paulus. They were having preacheritis, but the point Paul's making is in order for a church to be religiously sound, there can't be any divisions among us. But is this the answer? Are, are, are doctrines really necessary? Do we need to follow the model of the community church? It's the most it's the fastest growing trend in America today. Even some churches of Christ are joining the community church movement. Is this the answer to the problem? To do away with doctrines whatsoever and just have a full feel-good kind of religion where we make sure that we don't offend anyone and make sure that everybody gets to believe what, are, what they need to believe? Are doctrines really necessary? 
Well, I think you'll agree with me this morning that disunity in the religious world is a very bad thing and something needs to be done about it. But I think doing away with all doctrine is not the answer to it. In fact, let's think about some things this morning as we answer the question, are doctrines really necessary? Well, first of all this morning, there's no possibility of getting along without doctrine in the religious world for whatever men believe That is their doctrine. Whatever a person believes in whatever realm of the world they may be uh, dealing with, whatever they believe, that's their doctrine. Let me show you how this works in the non-religious world. For example, in the realm of economics, I believe in the free enterprise system. I believe that the best system for mankind and the economic market to survive is the free enterprise system based upon capitalism. That is something I believe to be true. It, I think, is the best thing for the economy in America. That is a doctrine of economics that I hold. In the political realm, I believe that the form of government that we have here in these United States, a democratic republic is the best form of government in the entire world today. I would not want to be a citizen under any type of government. I wish that all countries had this type of government. That is something that I believe, is something that I hold to, is something I believe strongly in. I think it's something that we should fight for in this country. That is a doctrine that I hold. The doctrine of my political values. And once again, we need to understand and appreciate the fact that a doctrine is anything that someone believes. Now, moving into the religious realm, the community church says that we do not believe in any type of doctrine whatsoever. Well, folks, that right there and then is a doctrine. It is a doctrine of the belief that doctrines aren't necessary. This is something that they hold to. This is something they believe. This is something that they teach. Whether they realize it or not, they have come up with a doctrine of not having doctrines. But, of course, we understand and appreciate the fact that since everyone does have a doctrine, because there's no possible, uh, possibility of getting along without doctrine in the religious world for whatever a man believes, that is their doctrine, then we need to decide What is the doctrine that we're going to hold to? It is impossible for a person not to have some type of doctrine. They may not call it a doctrine, but even the community church has a doctrine. It is the belief that doctrines are not important. But that in and of itself is a doctrine. But look at what the Bible says about doctrines. Are doctrines necessary? Let's look at a couple of scriptures this morning. See what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 it says, As I urge you when I went into Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines anymore or any longer. In Paul's day there was something that was called a false doctrine. And here he is commanding these Timothy to stay there and battle these false doctrines. And that right there tells me that there are doctrines that are true and there are doctrines that are false. In fact, he goes on in the same chapter in verse 10 and he says, and make sure that they put an end for whatsoever else is contrary to sound doctrine. 
There is a doctrine in the religious world that's quote-unquote sound or true or that which is a part of God's plan. So right there we can see that in the religious world there's a possibility not only to have doctrine, but there's two sides to the doctrine. There is false doctrine and there is sound doctrine. Well, the Bible goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching, and then dropping down to verse 15, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now here the Apostle Paul reminds the preacher Timothy that it's very important that he continues to spend time studying and reading Scripture and preaching and teaching that he needed to be diligent in these matters. The reason being that we, that we need to watch our life and doctrine closely because if we will, it's going to save both yourself and your hearers. Well, we've learned something new now. Not only is there doctrine in the religious world, because whatsoever a man believes, that is his doctrine. Not only have we learned that there's such things as sound doctrine and false doctrine, but we also discover that doctrine has a part in whether or not we are going to be saved. The doctrine that we hold, the doctrine that we believe in, the doctrine that we follow, has something to do with our eternal salvation but then he goes on in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and Frank read this for us a few moments ago. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season, of out in season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned and turn aside to myths. The Apostle Paul understood there would come a time in the church history where men, because they want to satisfy their own desires, men, because they are tired of hearing things that disagree with what they want to do, that they will come up with their own doctrine. Paul refers to it as men will not put up with sound doctrine anymore. Now think about that verse for a moment and think about what I've said about the community church. What have they done? They have basically said, well, if we're going to be unified, if we're going to have religious unity in the world today, well, we just can't put up with sound doctrine anymore. We're going to have to do away with doctrine. We're going to have to do away with anything that would cause someone to disagree with someone. We have to do away with anybody that would be different from us. And the only way that we can keep from being different is just do away with doctrine whatsoever. We just can't put up with it any longer. Paul says that this is a warning, that this is something that's going to happen And instead, we need to make sure that we continue to preach the Word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that you need to combat this very thing because we've already established that whatsoever a man believes, that is his doctrine. And there's such things as sound doctrine and there's such things as false doctrine. And having sound doctrine 
predicates what our eternal destination is going to be. But here we have a warning that Paul tells us that the time will come when men won't put up with such things any longer. And we certainly see that in the religious world today. But then in Titus, he adds these words. He tells Titus, you must must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now, you look at that verse and you think, well, that's, that's a true statement and I agree with it, but make sure you understand what he is saying here. First of all, he is verifying once again that there is something that is called sound doctrine. But the second thing that he is doing, and you might miss this when you first look at the verse, he is saying that when you teach, when you tell other people about Jesus, when you tell other people about the church, when you tell other people about Christianity, the things that you teach must be in accordance or must be in according or must be in agreement with what was known as sound doctrine. Now, folks, that tells me that whenever someone in the religious world wants to tell other people about religion and Christianity, that the only thing that is going to be viable as far as God is concerned is that those teachings jive with or are according to what is known as sound doctrine. Now, look what we've learned so far. That whatsoever a man believes, that is his doctrine. He may not call it doctrine. He may say he really doesn't have a doctrine. But even saying so, he does come up with a doctrine. That the Bible teaches that there is such a thing as doctrine, that there's both sound doctrine and false doctrine. We are warned that people will turn away from sound doctrine. But we are also commanded that when we teach, it needs to be according to doctrine. Well, let's add another point to this. The first century church debated which doctrines were right and necessary. Now, the whole model of the community church is that we want just everybody to get along. We don't want to have any deep religious discussions because we might offend someone. Uh, We want to try to stay away from any kind of debate whatsoever. Uh, You just believe whatever you want to believe, and as long as you love Jesus, and we're all one big happy family, and we just have a good old time in the worship service and just feel good when we leave, then nothing else really matters. Well, getting doctrine right was something that was very important to the early church. In fact, not just a few years after Jesus died on the cross and the church was established on the day of Pentecost, the church began to debate what was right doctrine, what were things that we needed to follow and not follow. The very first thing that was debated in the church that we have record of is what kind of things from the Old Testament do we need to bring into New Testament Christianity? There were people in the church who uh, the Bible refers to as Judaizing teachers because They were Christians, but they wanted to turn Christians into Jews. And I think their heart was good. Their their intent was good. They looked at the old law and looked about how strict it was and how that there were different rituals you needed to follow and there were different commands you needed to follow. And these commands were good because they kept you holy. And, And they missed the point, though, As Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, that Jesus Christ blotted out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, 
and nailed it to the cross, taking it out of the way. But yet this was a problem. There were people who said that my doctrine is that if you want to be an acceptable Christian, you need to practice the old law also. Oh, you're a Christian, and you do the Christian things you're supposed to do, but yet you're still under the old law, and so you need to do the Jewish things also. Uh, It's interesting, there is a religious faith today who even uh, espouses this particular idea. Oh, yes, you're a Christian, but you're a special type of Christian that still follows Judaism. But all we have to simply do is look at Acts chapter 15. And there, there was a meeting in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem council got together with the apostles and other leading men in the church, and they discussed about the old law and the new law. They discussed Judaism and Christianity, and they discussed about what things from the old law should be brought into the new law. And at the conclusion of this council there in Acts chapter 15, um, they basically said that nothing from the old law should be carried into the new law except for the fact that you should have nothing to do with the idols and you shouldn't eat blood. And those were things that they thought were part of Christianity also, so they brought that over. In fact, um, the book of Galatians is, deals with the idea, and the book of Hebrews deals with the idea, emphasizing the fact that sound doctrine, the right doctrine, is no longer being under the Judaizing system, but Christianity. In fact, Paul in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4 that says, If any of you seek to be justified by the law... You are fallen from grace. My point is, of course, that here were some men who were debating about which was the right doctrine. What should be the church standard? What should be the church thing that they should hold on to? And they decided they would have to get get together and decide what was sound doctrine. A little bit later on in the church, there was another problem that arose that needed to be debated. And those of you who are on my class on Wednesday night, when we studied the book of Colossians, you're very aware of this. There was something that arose in the church that was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a blending of, of Greek philosophy and pagan rituals and Jewish philosophies and doctrines, and they were all blended together to form a special type of religion. It was called the Gnostic religion because uh, it's based on the Greek word gnos, which means to know, and they had the idea that there was special knowledge that people had. But one of the main tenets of this particular religion, as we learned on Wednesday night, was that they believed that all matter was evil and that all spiritual was good. In other words, this world and Anything in this world, mankind, animals, and anything, were evil, and they would always be evil. And anything dealing with God, God, heaven, and anything in heaven, was totally good and will always be good. But they believed that you could never, ever blend these two together. And so there was instantly a problem that arose from this, a problem that the early church leaders had to deal with. If what they said about evil being totally evil and good being totally good, there's no way in the world that Jesus Christ could be both God and man. He was either all man, and therefore he was evil, 
or therefore he was all God and he was totally good. And when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't a proper sacrifice for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he was just either a man dying or he was a God dying. There wasn't, the two couldn't come together. And they came up with all kinds of strange stories of how that Jesus really wasn't here. He was just an image that we saw. Some Gnostic writers talked about how that when Jesus walked across the sand, he left no footprint, even though you could see him with his eye, because he really wasn't here. He was just an image, because there's no way that God and man could come together. Well, the early church realized what a problem this was, because this was a false doctrine. And they wanted to teach the true doctrine. And so you have an apostle by the name of John who spent a lot of time with Jesus. And in fact, Jesus uh, and John himself talks about how this was one that Jesus loved. But listen to what John says about Jesus. And that's why these words are in the Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And notice what this verse says. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says that Jesus Christ was God. He was with God. He was there when God created the world. But this same God came to this earth and became flesh and became one of us. In fact, later on, John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and testify to to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard that you also may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now notice the passion and the emphasis of this verse. And you try to tell me that doctrine is not important. Here is the doctrine that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He came to this earth and dwelled as a man. John says He was really here. He wasn't just an image. I saw Him. I touched Him. I spoke with Him. He is the Son of God. He is the eternal Word of life. And the emphasis, once again, the point we're trying to make is that those in the early church knew and understood that doctrine was important. We needed to get it right. We just can't simply go through religion and say, well, you just believe whatever you want to believe. You go your way with your thing, and we'll just all just get along. Doctrine is important. So I guess the final thing we need to deal with today is understand that the only basis then for true unity is to discover what God's doctrine is and follow it. If what a man believes is his doctrine, then it's important that we have the right kind of beliefs. We know it's important that we have the right kind of beliefs because the Bible very clearly says there are some things that are considered true doctrine or sound doctrine, and there are some things that are considered false doctrine. 
And in the Bible, we are warned against false doctrine. In fact, the passages that we've already seen this morning promote the idea that sound doctrine is what's going to save you. And the contradiction to that would be, or the contrary to that would be, that unsound doctrine would cause you to lose your soul. We also see how important doctrine is in that the early church thought doctrine was important enough that they needed to get it right. And they were going to combat anything that was contrary to sound doctrine. Many of the books that we have in our New Testament were written dealing with someone who was teaching a doctrine that was different from what God wanted. But the question still comes up is, how in the world are we going to find out what God's doctrine is? How are we truly going to have true unity? Well, the only basis then is for true unity is to discover what God's doctrine is and then follow it. And we know that the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Did you hear that? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Notice where we go to find our doctrine. We find it in the inspired scriptures. There, as the text says, we have everything that we need. In fact, as you go through the Bible, we discover that we need to find God's unity based on this particular scripture. Uh, in 2 John and verse 9, John makes this statement. He says, Whosoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, God is not in him. There is a doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, and if you don't abide in that or hold to that, then God's not in you. Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, that if any man comes to you, even an angel from heaven comes to you and teaches you any other gospel that I have, other than what I have delivered unto you, let him be accursed. You tell me doctrines are not important? Jude reminds us in Jude verse 3 that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. And the faith that's being talked about there is not just a belief, but a doctrine, the system of faith that makes up Christianity. Jude says we need to earnestly contend for that faith. So once again, you're telling me that doctrine's not important? When the Bible very clearly tells us that if we don't have certain doctrines, then we don't have God. That if Someone teaches something different than what the gospel Paul taught. But that person is accursed. Jude tells us that not only do we need to have a doctrine, but we're supposed to earnestly contend for it. Now we look at the religious world today, and it breaks our heart that there's so many different divisions with so many people uh, believing so many different things. But the answer to it is not just to give up. On what the Bible teaches. 
The answer is not just to give up on doctrine and, and we'll just say, well, we won't have any doctrine anymore. We'll just all get along and, and um, I may hold a particular uh, Bible doctrine, but I'll never share it with another person. You just keep your views to yourself and we'll just get together and we'll just have a big old time worshiping God and we won't ever let anything separate us. Well, that sounds good maybe on paper and maybe sounds logical in some people's minds. But the only way to, true ha- to have true Bible unity and truly be the kind of church God wants you to be, you're going to have to follow his doctrine. You see, crowds never make a church. The only thing that can make a church is God and his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Bible study cannot be something that's just superficial. But instead, Bible study needs to be something that is serious. Because there we learn the revealed word of God. And there we need to know the things that we need to know as far as sound doctrine is concerned. We can open up our Bible and we can find the doctrine of God. We can open up our Bible and find the doctrine of His Son, Jesus Christ. We can open up our Bible and find the doctrine of worship, how God wants to be worshipped. We can open up our Bibles and find the doctrine of church organization, how God wants the church to be organized. We can open up our Bibles and discover the doctrine of salvation, how God wants a person to be saved. Doctrines are important. Doctrines are necessary. Not because I say they are, but because the Bible says they are. And we should always strive to be the kind of church that's not pleasing to the community, but is pleasing to Jesus Christ. If you have a need this morning, we want you to come as together we stand and sing.